Today, we're revisiting the second half of my 2017 conversation with two-time Grammy winner, jazz pianist-composer Alan Broadbent. Alan and I discussed his work with a wide range of artists, from Kristen Chenoweth and Diana Krall to Charlie Hayden and Paul McCartney, and his different approach when arranging for each. Alan left his native New Zealand at 19 to move to Boston and study at the Berklee College of Music. He followed that happy time with less enjoyable years in Los Angeles. Six years ago, Alan moved east and feels he's finally exactly where he should be to live the jazz life he wants. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Alan Broadbent's orchestral CD, Developing Story, is the culmination of a musical idea he had years ago for an orchestral jazz composition. Here is the second movement from that composition.
the second movement from Alan Broadman's new CD, Developing Story. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Alan has another new CD with his new lyricist, Georgia Mancio. I was fascinated that you said it only took you 50 years to find a lyricist. And I know that you've written with Dave Frischberg Mm -hmm. and uh, with Mark Murphy, you said as well, or tried it with Mark. But talk about your new CD. You have another new CD. And with somebody I met, I don't know if I told you that George and I had met in England. She wrote to yeah. me about that. So yeah. that was just a great coincidence. When she found yeah. out we were getting together, she wrote and said, I don't know if you remember me, but we met, etc." So talk about this CD. And that's fascinating how you two got together. Because again, we come back to what we started talking about, about mm-hmm. the way we look at music, the way we feel music. Now this is... Uh, another thing, who's going to express in words what you're thinking musically. It's very interesting, that pairing. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I, I just have to say that that I was writing these tunes since I was about hmm, 16, 17. Oh, so you were composing early on. Well, I was trying to. Yeah, was, yeah, but I you were listening. thinking in that direction. Is yeah, what I, I was mean. Yeah. at about the time that um, the Beatles... Yeah. Took over the world. I was trying to figure out how Jimmy Van Heusen wrote Polka Dots and Moonbeams and how he went to A major in the bridge. You know. <laughs> I know, and I was I wasn't listening to that. I was just like you. I was thinking those same things instead yeah. of the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, right. You know. And and all that whole thing, the 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 seventies, the disco, Richard T, you know, I the whole synthesizer movement. Um, you were missing all of that because you were thinking well, about I Jimmy just, Van Heusen? Yeah, I just couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't relate. You know, when Miles went into his uh, Joe Zavinal uh, um, thing, I, I just it lost that feeling for me. And yeah. I, uh, I, I was still trying to figure out how to go to A major in the bridge. <laughs> And, uh, but, you know. <laughs> no, I know exactly. I'm just I'm, I'm laughing. I'm thinking. My brother took me to see, what was the first Beatles movie? Hard Day's Night? Yeah, what a okay, wonderful. Okay, so I, all right. Oh. I was in elementary school. Yeah. And I remember to show you how out of it I was. Now, I was in elementary school, so I wasn't, didn't have my finger on the pulse of pop music. But my older brother turned to me right before the lights went down and said, if you start screaming... <laughs> I'm leaving. And I said, why would I scream? And the lights went down and everybody started screaming. And I looked at him like he was a god. He was already my big brother. He knew everyone was going to scream. How did he know that? (laughs) That's where I was. Actually, when I was 17, you mentioned that. A hard day's night. It's been a hard day's night was my big big hit at the uh, Embers uh, Jazz Club in Auckland. I used to play that. In the there you go. D. See, well, you yeah. were the, very good. You were. But that, it was a tune, you know. And I can, well, yeah, and they, uh, and I want to. I'm going off in a different direction, but I'm going to come back to Georgia. But you wrote some string arrangements for Paul McCartney, yeah. bringing this all full I circle. Can't believe, yeah, when I think about that, it well, just no, freaks and me I, out. And well, and I laugh because when the when that CD came out, and it's called Kisses on the Bottom. Yeah. I was the only one of my friends that knew what that was referring to. Yeah, exactly. Because they all thought it was sexual. And I go, (laughs) it's a Fats Waller tune, people. (laughs) What if it rained? 
we didn't care She said that someday soon the sun was gonna shine And she was right This love of mine My valentine As days and nights Would pass me by I tell myself that I was waiting for a sign Then she appeared A love so fine My valentine And I will love her For life I will never let a day go by Without remembering the reasons why She makes me certain that I can fly And so I do without a care I know that someday soon the sun is gonna shine And she'll be there This love of mine My valentine Paul McCartney from his CD, Kisses on the Bottom, for which my guest, Alan Broadbent, wrote the string arrangements. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. What if it rained? We didn't care. She said that someday soon the sun was gonna shine And she was right This love of mine My valentine What was it like working with Paul? Well, that's jumping ahead a bit. Because, yeah, but no, uh, but I that, want to. We'll come back. Um, Paul's a gentleman. Um, uh, you know, everything was basically laid out already with mm-hmm. Diana, mm-hmm. who I'd known since she was 19. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had the tracks all done, and it was Tommy LaPuma who I'd known through Natalie Cole mm-hmm. years before, um, who called me and Diana suggested that I just write these things. To tell the truth, uh, Johnny Mandel had done the original arrangements on a couple. But Johnny is Johnny, you know, beautiful introduction and everything. And I could see where Paul felt that it it wasn't apropos to what was trying to be said with right. this this modest production, you know. Right, and it was turned into Johnny Mandel. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I found a way, you know, to to 
color these things mm. without imposing any grand uh, ideas upon them, but just taking what was there and um, adding perhaps uh, just enhancing the feeling of of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And it worked. It worked fine. Uh, um, and Paul was happy with it. Uh, and he was a real gentleman. I, there was a very touching thing. Uh, my wife, Allison, there was no way. There was no way she was not going to come to the session. Right. It was a closed session. And she'd probably hate me for this. But. <laughs> So she got all dressed up and just sat in the green room there mm-hmm. while I did my thing. Mm-hmm. Just sat there. That's all. Finally, we were recording a little bit, and Paul comes up and very discreetly looks at me and he says, Alan, who is that uh, woman in the green And I, I said, Paul, it's my wife, Allison. And he said, oh, I thought so. I said, oh, shit. I'm in right. deep water, whatever. We finish the take. Paul goes directly out to the green room, and I'm going, oh, right. you know, and I'm following, and he goes right up to her, and, and he introduces himself. Oh, that's so sweet. I know. I love <laughs> <And> that. Allison almost died. <laughs> so, okay, let's take a picture, he says. Aww. I know. And here's what a gentleman he was. Here's how he knows women. We take the picture, and he looks at the picture, and he's got a, a man Friday who does who follows him everywhere, whatever. They look, and then Paul shows the picture to Allison. Is that okay with you? So dear. <laughs> I love stories like this because they're so rare. Yeah. So, and that's she has that, uh, you know, because that that was a particular time in her life with Woodstock and everything that I had no idea. Um, you know, about that music or that whole Right, but it really meant something to her. Yeah, our connection was we met uh, um, at the Vine Street Barn Grill, and uh, we happened to connect with Mahler. So I said, hey, that's the gal for me. Exactly. Well, and at least you can give her as a moment with Paul. I think that was very generous of you to make sure that happened. Yeah, well... (laughs) You know, there was no way it wasn't going to happen. Exactly. So, so. Well, you you remind me of something that I'd thought about asking you before we got together. I was looking forward to it because you are are doing symphony arrangements. You're doing different for very different mm-hmm. kinds of people, and you have the music that you know you're going to do. But do you also think of the personality of the person? And because you're you talk about what was required for Paul in this yeah. case, and we're both Johnny Mandel fans. But that wasn't, it didn't work for what Paul needed for the music he was doing. But I also was thinking, and, and maybe it's a crazy question, but I was just thinking about Natalie Cole, Diana Krall, Shirley Horn, mm-hmm. you know, three people I love, but very different personalities and approaches to music. You're thinking of all of that when you're doing it or are you just they say this is what I want and you do it that how do you approach no. that no never I've never uh, nobody's ever said to me this is what I want yeah that's what they, I'm curious about yeah yeah they they know 
they come to you well, because they know what you yeah, do. They being a you know a handful of people, and uh, Natalie's not with us anymore. Right. Um, there's one you didn't mention that I'm very proud of. Um, small budget but, and a small orchestra, but uh, is Kristen Chenoweth. Um, oh. the, Kristen, what a wonderful gal she is. Yeah. And, um, but her standards album a couple of years ago uh, came out, and I was basically given a free hand. Um, mm. Steve Tyrell produced it, and mm. I've known Steve for many years. So I was able to just... Um, Say, for example, Skylark, I came to Kristen with the idea that I envisioned her quietly in the morning out in the countryside, head on the pillow, and she hears in the morning sunrise, a Skylark. There's my intro. And she <laughs> she went... Teared up. Uh, teared up, and I did too. And, and then from there, I developed a little idea with her singing. So that was, anything I suggested to her was just encouraged to do more, you know. That's fantastic. And um, the thing is, I cannot, I can't do certain projects. Um, they have to have a certain resonance with me. Mm-hmm. The songs, I have to feel something about them to communicate whether it's just enhancing with a few chords or painting a picture. Um, with Kristen, most of the songs, um, I'm a Fool to Want You, uh, which I was very um, honored to uh, be nominated for a Grammy uh, last year for that. Um, I'm a Fool to Want You. Well, I've been there, you know, and I know, thank you, Gustav. I know how to make it work and how to make that subliminal thing like with Natalie, with Kristen especially, because they are singers. Mm -hmm. I can have my little sub-song, if you want, my counterpoint. Even if it's stardust, I have my own stardust. Mm. It's working in tandem with, with the way Natalie in a gorgeous voice sings, or Kristen with Skylark.
but my heart is riding on your wings. So if you see them anywhere, won't you lead me Kristen Chenoweth singing Alan Broadbent's arrangement of Skylark. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons. Additional support is provided by Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970. On the web at jazztimes.com. 
For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can listen to Jazz Inspired on all the usual podcast platforms and email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Stride Queen. My guest is pianist, composer, conductor, arranger, Alan Broadbent. Here's a track Alan brought me of one of the greatest inspirations in his musical life. Chopin's Etude Opus 10, Number 4, played here by Maurizio Pollini. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. My guest, Alan Broadbent, has arranged for everyone from Shirley Horn to Diana Krall, musicians with different approaches and different styles. Alan described painting a picture around Kristen Chenoweth when arranging for her, which is a different process from his approach with Diana Krall, whom he worked with on her latest CD, Turn Up the Quiet. Diana's already there with a feeling, not a picture. Right. So for me to paint a picture on top of this jazz feeling that she knows about right. is not appropriate. Right. You know? So I had to um, to find ways again on, on her album, uh, Turn Up the Quiet, to do the same kind of thing, to to just be there with the feeling. Isn't it romantic? Music in the night A dream that can be heard Isn't it romantic? 
Moving shadows right, the oldest magic word. I hear the breezes playing in the trees above, while all the world is saying. You were meant for love, isn't it romantic? Merely to be young on such a night like this, isn't it romantic? Every note that's sung is like a lover's kiss, sweet symbols in the moonlight. Do you mean that I will fall in love, perchance? Isn't it romantic? Merely to be young on such a night like this. Isn't it romantic? Every note that's sung is like a lover's kiss. CD. Oh, I feel I like she her. sort of went back to her roots yeah. in a way. And yeah. uh, even the cover 
I just love everything about it. It's yeah, just yeah. Re- don't you? Th- it's just oh, a yeah. lovely CD. When I got that, I just thought, yeah, yeah. Diana. Yeah, I'm going to be conducting it in, in what a week uh, this weekend, actually, uh, at the Bowl. So um, that's going to be fun. That's exciting. Yeah, that, that's is. from my childhood, the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah, because I used yeah. to go there when I was a Me kid. Too. I, I love that. Yeah, that's <laughs> and L.A. Uh, if I may ask, you never you lived there for years, but never felt comfortable. Never as did. you do in the East. When did you move back here? Um, six years ago. Six years ago. And yeah. what about L.A., if you don't mind saying? I'm no. just curious because I'm a girl who left L.A. as well. Well, I got off, the, I got off Woody Herman's bus, mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. in 72. Not knowing what the heck I was going to do. I had $200 in my pocket. I managed to find a cheap place to rent. And uh, that's when I got this call to work with Nelson Riddle a few six months ago, um, six months later. But, but for all the time that I was there, I, I never felt that I'm a jazz musician at heart who loves the orchestra, but I'm first and foremost... You're a jazz man, right. I'm a jazz it's man. It's a different thing, right. And in L.A., you have to be everybody's man. Right. You know. So at about the time when Nelson Riddle died and my work kind of uh I tried my hand at synthesizers to, you know, try and keep to earn a living. But I just couldn't do it. I I just could not make that transition because the piano meant everything to me, the way I play it. You know, the way the eighth notes feel. Mm-hmm. The way it responds to my chords and everything, my feelings. So I would, uh, I spent most of the 40 years that followed um, going out every weekend to Pasadena just to play with my friend Potter Smith and whatever drummer we could find at the time. And um, so I had to, in LA you have to keep, um, you have to find your jazz place because it doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. Even the clubs, you play a club and there's somebody slurping spaghetti in front of you, you know, while you're playing My Foolish Heart, you know, and whatever. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Tell me another. You're, you're bringing back traumatic memories. <laughs> oh, we all have those. <laughs> no, but I'm just, I'm thinking about it. And, and it's fascinating. I, I, I hope it's interesting to our listeners because we live in a wonderful country and Americans have loads in common, but there are real differences. It's a mm-hmm. huge country. And I had someone ask me how my career would be different if I started now in L.A. versus New York, because it was very different for me then. And it got me thinking about this, and, and you talking about it is very significant, because your, your experience was very similar to mine, even though we were pursuing a jazz career in a very different way. Yeah we still experienced exactly the same thing. So it it makes me think about this. And I, I've thought about this before, that if you're a person who is pursuing music in the way you talk about pursuing it, that you take on projects that you feel resonance with, mm-hmm. obviously I it's radio, but I get to see your face when you're talking about these people that you worked with. And I see the delight and love on your face of what that's like. Mm-hmm. And we talked before we were on mic about 
your gigs with Diana and what it was like hanging out with her and what these people mean to you. Mm-hmm. And I know I've tried to do some projects that had a lot of money, that I, money I needed. I could not bring myself to mm-hmm. do it because there was no connection. And I wished I could because yeah, I too. needed that money. <laughs> me too. And then I started thinking about other people that people would say to me. They'd say, well, so-and-so sold out, whatever that means. Oh, that's a quaint term now. Right. And I thought, I watched these people. I thought, no, they're just able to do that. Mm -hmm. They connect with it different differently than than we I than we do I think yes. because I did take a gig once that I tried to do this oh, other boy. thing and I got a splitting headache yeah. I actually couldn't play it was mm-hmm. like somebody was poking my eye out me too so from the back that it the musicians I knew called it Judy's evergreen headache because I had to play evergreen <laughs> that was the big tune and oh, I had such a thing you light up again. my life with mine <laughs> It had such a thing I could not play evergreen. No matter what, I I tried changing keys. I tried doing everything to make this tune. And it was, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, I almost broke out in hives. And I thought, well, I just can't. And so I'm, so you're reinforcing that just by the fact that you're laughing and shaking your head. You just couldn't bring yourself to do it. Well, it kind of the beginning of the end was when I was on a studio date and I was asked to play like Richard T. And they came out and said, "That's not the. That's not Richard." And, I, <laughs> and this is when I would look up into the sky and say, "There's got to be a some way. There's got to be some way I, I can be in New York." <laughs> I had a great pianist. Uh, friend of mine who's since passed away with the fetching name of Hunky Page, played out in the Hamptons, and just a great piano player that, you know, it always played in in places, that old-style piano player that would play in a beautiful restaurant, that kind of thing. And he said that one night that he was, somebody had requested feelings, and he was playing it. And and we know as pianists, there's nothing like solo piano, that doing it for hours, you confront everything, you yeah. get sick of your own playing, you know, yeah. we've been through everything. That's right. And so he was doing it, for the, for the, and he thought, while he was playing Feelings, he thought, what if I died right now? <laughs> what if I went out, and the last thing I did was play Feelings? <laughs> Oh. And he stopped in the middle of the tune. He thought it can't happen. He got superstitious. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love that. So whenever something's yeah. happening to me, I'll think, what if I went out playing feelings? You yeah. know, it's that kind. I can't do it. It's very funny. Well, in the business I was trying to, to work in in L.A., you know, all the guys who are my age now are, are living on very comfortable pensions. Yeah. You know. Well, of course. But... I'm still, ha, ha, ha. (laughs) (laughs) You still love the music? (laughs) Well, I'm still waking up every day as to what am I going to do today? Where will I play? What will I play? Are the guys coming over to my house? Or or maybe I have a gig at Mesro, you know, or, you know, somebody might call with a chart, or maybe I've got a new song in my head, you know, and I'm still living the life, and... And in all those times when I'd be with Charlie Hayden, Charlie saved me from L.A., really. And um, 
But any time we played in New York, it's the old cliche. I'd be in the cab coming from JFK, and I'd see the lights of the city, and my heart would go boom, 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 you know? And it's like, why am I feeling this? And and I, I, I was hoping that I would be able to honor it someday, and, and we... We, uh, we, thanks to my wife, we, we had a situation where we could move here mm. and say goodbye to all that. And I only really said goodbye to, um, to a couple of friends mm-hmm. after all those years. Others were just acquaintances in the music business. Well, there you go.
I can't finish without coming back to Georgia because I got us distracted there going off in another direction. (laughs) So choosing or finding, I guess is a better way of putting it, the right lyricist. And I just love that you say, and I'm sure she would love that you say, that it took you 50 years to find your lyricist. That's amazing. Yeah. So talk about Georgia and this collaboration. Well, um, I, I met a, I was playing Birdland with Charlie on our last gig there. And I felt particularly good after the set. And um, I walked over to the bar area there and this big, tall German fellow comes over and says how he likes my work and tell me, why don't we ever see you in your own name, like in Europe or anything? And I said, well, nobody ever asks. And, <laughs> yeah, know, it's always or, that. Yeah, right. And his name is Jan Matisse, and we're very dear friends now. And he just simply looked down at me, and everybody looks down at me, <laughs> <laughs> and said, uh, well, would you like me to try? And I said, well, sure, go ahead. And before I knew it, he's got a, a bunch of gigs in Europe, you know, little clubs and stuff lined up with some German uh, friends of mine now, um, drummer and bassist. And one of those gigs was at the pizza place. in Pizza in, Express. That's right, Dean in Street. London. You've been there. Mm-hmm. And I was playing there, and I met Georgia. And mm-hmm. she came up, and she told me how she liked Charlie Hayden and everything, and she particularly liked one song. Could she try her hand at writing lyrics to it? And I said, sure, what have I got to lose? You know, mm-hmm. expecting, you know, well, another one that's going to add syllables and right. have their own agenda. The tune I had written uh, for Charlie that she liked, Charlie was a big uh, Raymond Chandler, L.A. of the 50s film noir fan, and I was thumbing through a Raymond Chandler book, and there was a title called The Long Goodbye. And I wrote a tune called The Long Goodbye because of this project that we were working on with Charlie. So I gave that to her, and she retitled it The Last Goodbye because of... Mm-hmm. You know, there's already a movie and a John Williams score mm-hmm. called this. <clears throat> and she sent it back through the internet, of course. All this is possible now. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't have been way back when. And here it was, the last goodbye. And I said, hey, that works for me. She was able, you know, you have to give a lyricist a certain amount of leeway you know, mm-hmm. to express themselves mm-hmm. as they want. And she did it, and I resonated again mm-hmm. with what she was trying to say in this lyric. So I sent her another one and another one, and I just sent her one last night, as a matter of fact. And uh, uh, so it's an ongoing thing, and um, maybe we could hear the last goodbye. I passed by the house just today. It seemed to have something to say The gates were all worn And the pathway was torn And yet I still hoped you'd be there The lights that you hung from the tree The flowers you planted for me The shoes that you wore 
were right by the door And so I still hoped you'd be there Though time slipped through our hands Life seemed so planned I thought you'd be Thank you for coming in to the city all the way from New Jersey. Oh, that was quite quite <laughs> a trip. Yes, I, I braved mean, a New Jersey transit just further, for you. It's further than coming from New Zealand. Actually, is coming from New Jersey is uh, coming in. No, I appreciate it. It's so great to finally uh, meet you. And you too, Judy. I've been a fan for so long. Oh my goodness, it's really great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Wow, such a pleasure, Judy. You've been listening to my conversation with Alan Broadbent. Please join me next week when I talk to another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired from all the usual podcast platforms or listen at jazzinspired.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD Trio. I'm on piano with my Cashmon sax and Chris Flory on guitar. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway & Sons. For more information, visit jazzinspired.com and judycarmichael.com.